knowing you should doesn't motivate you to change <laughs> at all. So what's going to motivate you to change is to know why you're doing it. And uh, I have one of the most powerful questions I know to ask yourself is, is this choice consistent with the outcome I want? back to the Mindful Belly Don't Eat Your Feelings podcast. I am your host and health coach, Ellie Rome. In this episode, I am so excited to share. I got to interview Dr. Todd Nelson. He is a naturopath in Denver, Colorado that I actually met. I went to one of his gut health seminars and it was amazing. It was such a great deep dive into gut health, into all things that we're going to talk about in this episode. And he is a real expert. He's been practicing for over 37 years and he himself had chronic constipation, IBS, all sorts of digestive issues growing up. And like many of us, he was going to see doctors, but was just handed prescriptions for different symptoms, nothing to treat root cause. And until he met a, another naturopath who was the only one that asked him what he was eating. And after realizing that or learning that a lot of foods that he was eating were compromising his system, he completely transformed his health and identified which foods he was sensitive to that were causing a lot of these issues and the major ones for him being dairy and gluten and sugar. And so, which is majority of us or a lot of us are in the same boat. I know I was, and his, in this episode, we talk things from testing to elimination diets, probiotics, tips for healing, and here's some really powerful takeaways. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode, and I'm definitely going to ask Dr. Todd to come back on and dive deeper into some of these topics because there's so much that we could explore here. And so I feel like we just scratched the surface, but I think it's a really, a really great episode for anyone who especially is experiencing anything related to their gut health which is pretty much any chronic disease or issue you could have is going to a lot of times comes back to the gut. So for more information on Dr. Todd, definitely check out his website at tolwellness.com. That's tolwellness.com and I'll put it in the show notes. All right. Now for the show. Hi, Dr. Todd. How are you? Hey, LA. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much You're for good. joining me for this. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. Yes. Well, I'd love for you if you'd like to share with the listeners who you are, what you do. Well, I've I've uh, been a naturopath in Colorado for 37 years. Um, I have a private practice in two locations, and I see a wide variety of people with many different kinds of problems. But gut health is one of my specialties, and... Um, that's really the reason, Ellie, that I got into uh, the world of naturopathic medicine was because in my late teens and really through my childhood, I, I had a lot of gut problems myself. I had chronic constipation and probably what would have been called IBS. I had gone to probably five to seven doctors who not one of them ever said, um, what do you eat? And they all were looking at, you know, either drugs to modify symptoms or they wouldn't do anything. So uh, around the age of 17, my mother 
had a back problem and she started seeing a chiropractor that made house calls. And this doctor started talking to me about me and my health. And I told him about my gut problems. And he was the first person that said, hey, what do you eat, Todd, on a daily basis? And so he started coaching me about food. And up until that time, I was just the typical suburban kid, you know, eating sugary cereals in the morning. And I was in high school and I thought, you know, McDonald's was quite the deal. <laughs> to get lunch <laughs> lunch for a buck fifty or whatever. And uh but the whole time I was creating these gut problems on a daily basis. So he sat me down and he started basically coaching me for free. He took a real interest in me. And over the course of a number of months, um, my gut got tremendously better. And I started asking the question, why doesn't everybody know this? Um, you know, why have I gone to these doctors? Here I was a teenager wondering why I had gone to these doctors and I just hit roadblock after roadblock. I couldn't get any help. And uh, so, you know, I finally serendipitously through a series of experiences, I had the great pleasure of hearing a man named Dr. Robert Cooper speak when I was 19. And uh, Dr. Cooper um, is still a, very much of a leader. Uh, he has a bunch of best-selling books and so forth, but he was starting up a naturopathic school at the time. And uh, I heard him speak and I went up to him afterwards and I said, I'm going to do that the rest of my life. <laughs> and I ended up, he ended up being a mentor and a friend to me. Um, so I opened practice in 1982 and I haven't looked back. Wow. And so what do you think, like going back, what do you think were the biggest changes you made in your diet? Well, first and foremost was starting to cut out the junk, you know, get out all the sugar I was getting in and all the fried fat and all the white flour. Um, that was really the number one thing, um, meaning I needed to eat more vegetables. I needed to start my morning differently with food. So rather than sugar pops, I might have eggs and vegetables. <laughs> and um, I mean, in those days, you know, in natural healing, um, it, he he would coach me on things like doing, you know, chopped raw liver and lemon juice first thing in the morning, <laughs> which I don't think I could get many of my patients to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of it was kind of extreme. And then you know, getting a lot more water, cutting out soda pop, that was huge for me. Um, and then starting to identify maybe what foods was I sensitive to. And that was more with elimination diets. You know, I didn't do any testing in those days, or I didn't have any testing. But just by process of elimination, I found I was pretty sensitive to dairy and gluten, interestingly enough, way back then. And um, when I started cutting those out, I started getting more regularity. So little by little, I started learning more and more about food and more and more about diet. And I started experimenting. And pretty much my gut started shifting around and I started getting regular. And it was like the first time in many years. So uh, that's that was the key time, Ellie, where, where I felt like little steps made big differences. Yes. And do you think how like how long do you think it took till you really saw a noticeable shift in your regularity? Uh, probably about four or five months, honestly. Um, and then 
shortly thereafter, um, you know, within a couple of years, I was in naturopathic school. So I was experimenting with different diets and fasting and so forth and um, got way better even, even then. So um, I was using some different herbal formulas too. I, I had been studying with Dr. John Christopher, who at the time was uh, the most famous herbalist in America. And uh, he had written a book called School of Natural Healing, which is still an amazing herbal book. And um, I was using his formula along with diet uh, changes. It's called Naturalax Number 2. I think it's still on the market in the health food stores. Um, and that was helping me go as well. And then, but I was getting dependent on it, you know, to go. And I, I had to learn that by getting rid of some of my food sensitivities, increasing my fiber, also starting to do probiotics. You know, probiotics back in those days were not nearly as sophisticated. They were these gross liquid, you know, things that you drank. (laughs) (laughs) That tasted terrible. But uh, I forced myself to get it down. And I think that's the other thing is by repopulating my gut with good bacteria, I also started to function better because I wasn't, I wasn't breastfed. That's where we first get our uh, vital. Well, actually vaginally when we're born is when we first get our good bacteria and in in a ideal world, um, we're born vaginally and we're breastfed and we receive mom's good bacteria and that should stay with us in culture literally for life and then start diversifying as we get older and we're eating more diversity of food. Well, that's, that wasn't my start in life. You know, my start in life was I was born in the late fifties. Women were discouraged to breastfeed. Um, You know, I was raised on formula. And as we know now, Ellie, um, being raised on formula, especially if it's cow's milk based or soy based, it's going to set us up for food allergies later on. And I really think that was the case for me personally. I really do. Yes, I, I myself, I was raised on soy <laughs> formula and I had like cradle cap and eczema and so many issues. When I was a baby, they said I didn't sleep for two years because I was just like, my fingers would peel and it was just, um, they didn't know though. Yeah, innocent mistake, but it, it has big repercussions down the road, you know? Yeah. And so, it really does. And I'm trying. I guess I'm still trying to, like, understand this. So, with the probiotics that you get from being birthed vaginally or from breastfeeding, if you're not getting those, then how? I guess, how long does it? Or if you, even if you do get those, say you get them and then you take, you're put on antibiotics as an infant. Does that completely just? start you over or do you naturally just like grow those back or how does that work? Yeah, it's a good question. It, it, it may not wipe them out entirely depending on what the antibiotic is, but so many kids are having rounds and rounds and rounds of antibiotics, but there's evidence. And I just read this recently of, of just one uh, exposure to antibiotics in infancy can disrupt that gut microbiome possibly for life. And so you know, if, if that child's lucky enough that either they're still being breastfed or, um, you know, they're still going to get some good bacteria and they're also going to get 
prebiotics in the breast milk. You know, there's a starch in breast milk called 2-FL that is like fertilizer for the good bacteria in an infant's gut, right? That's super important. So, um, you know, if, if the child is then exposed to yogurt or uh, fermented food, they may start getting repopulated with more diversity of bacteria, okay? And they might even pick up some soil-based microorganisms just from food and playing in the dirt and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but but like, like yourself, just even one exposure or a series of antibiotics can get that kid to a point where, yeah, they're going to be much more prone to allergies, much more prone to digestive problems, um, much more prone to even behavioral um, challenges. And there's some new research on that as well. So, so how we start in life really determines where this microbiome goes. And, you know, in, throughout the generations, the last few generations, we have less diversity of bugs in our gut. And as you know, we have about 100 trillion bugs in our gut. We have this little, you know, three to five pound universe that is coexisting with us symbiotically that provides us with a wide range of benefits, potentially. Um, and then what happens is if we get a rough start, that can be disrupted for so long and, and set us up to being even chronically sick. So, you know, we're you know, luckily we're living in a time where the science is exploding on this and the microbiome, this whole totality of this bacterial environment is one of the hottest topics in uh, medical research in the world right now. So I think we're going to really see this come about over the next 10, 10 years. We're going to really see some big, big breakthroughs in how to balance our gut bacteria. Yeah. And I guess as of now, if you, if somebody comes to you and they are even like me, I was not having not been breastfed. Like, what can we do to like yeah, repopulate? <laughs> yeah. And, and just for listeners benefit, you know, maybe some of your listeners already know there's good guys, neutral guys, and bad guys <laughs> in your gut. And, and out of this hundred trillion bacteria, they're all kind of competing for space. They, they want to, perpetuate their own life, right? So what happens is, okay, we drop some bombs in there, antibiotics, steroids, anti-inflammatories, and actually many other medications that disrupt the gut microbiome. And then other things disrupt it too, like stress. So let's say you're going through chronic stress at home or school or in work or relationships. Well, guess what? That changes gut hormones in a way that doesn't favor the perpetuation of good bacteria. So your question about, you know, we've got all these assaults on that environment. And in those assaults, we get disruption. And so we need to mindfully pay attention to repopulating our gut bacteria from time to time. So I would say if you're somebody who has pretty regular bowel movements and you just don't, I call it low drama digestion, you don't, you know, ideally, you don't feel your gut. You don't feel what's going on in your gut. Um, well, you, you may be a person who needs to take probiotics for a bottle's worth three times a year and then eat some food on a regular basis like sauerkraut or kimchi or kombucha 
or something like that, that actually has natural good bacteria for the gut, where you're just periodically implanting or integrated it, that in lifestyle. You know, and a step away from that is, okay, what if you're cycling periodic gut problems, like diarrhea or constipation or bloating? Um, well, then what do you do? Well, you might need a really well-chosen probiotic or maybe a couple of them every single day for months or even years to keep you stable, um, along with some fermented foods. Well, then if it even gets worse and you have this condition called SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and we can get into that if you want to, um, then you have to be careful about, you got to put in bugs that are non-fermenting at first, because if you ferment too much, you're going to be very symptomatic and bloated and distended and discomfort and possibly, you know, um, cramping and that kind of thing. Um, so there, there's degrees of how bad it can get and how much intervention you need to put in. Uh, and one other thing, it's kind of exciting. I mean, um, one of the professional brands I use, Metagenics, has a powder called Ultra GI Replenish. And it actually has 2FL, this, this carbohydrate, um, that is in breast milk. And so let's say, you know, you and I weren't breastfed. And um, we never got that. So uh, we can kind of start at the beginning, so to speak. <laughs> and we can literally feed the bacteria with that prebiotic we never got, no matter what age we are now. That just came out in the last year. So that's really exciting. Mm, wow. Have you noticed people that have taken it? Have they had positive results? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's sort of astounding. I'm going to look at a slide here really quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, the 2FL, it's, it's called prebiome. And um, it helps the beneficial bacteria to actually colonize and repopulate the gut. Um, and it's probably one of the most important um, prebiotics we ever get. So it also, um, it increases dramatically something called short-chain fatty acids. So the short-chain fatty acids do you want to talk about that or is that too much? <laughs> no, talk about it. I love it. Well, short chain fatty acids are made. There's three of them, butyrate, acetate, and propionate. They're made by, okay, you eat fiber, right? And of course, most Americans have a low fiber diet. But as we eat fiber, as we eat it, so does our beneficial bacteria. They really like to chew on fiber and ferment it. Okay. And when they ferment it, the end result is short chain fatty acids. And those short chain fats, the most important one is butyrate. Butyrate is going to be getting lots more research over the next number of years because it helps protect against colon cancer. And it helps the gut lining integrity. It helps prevent leaky gut or leaky gut syndrome. And so if we don't have enough fiber, we don't have enough bacteria, good bacteria to ferment. We're not fermenting properly. Short-chain fatty acids go down. 
And I see this really commonly in stool testing in my patients. You know, I mean, just this week, I've probably had three people that had really low short chain fatty acids and butyrate. Well, if that stays that way for a long period of time, um, that person could be at risk for leaky gut syndrome, where the gut is absorbing these big molecules that shouldn't be, and that triggers inflammation and immune reactions. That's number one. And number two, they might be set up for colon cancer. So the good news is we're living in a time now where you know, once you get your diet program down first, that's personalized to you, and then you're getting the right amount and, and right kind of fibers coming in, and you've got the right species of good bacteria in there, and then guess what? You're feeding them, you're fertilizing them with something like 2FL. 2FL has been shown to increase butyrate by about 500%. Wow. Yeah, uh, good, good clinical research on this. And I see this clinically before and after in stool studies that I do in my patients is the butyrate will just go from nothing to really sufficient, usually within three to five months, um, which is great. I mean, we can do that in a short period of time. Um, so, uh, you know, it, these are sophisticated things. And unfortunately, Ellie, uh, I hate to say this, but most gastroenterologists are not up on this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Not to bash any gastroenterologists, but they're just not up on it. Um, so when you go and you're bloated and you're distended and you're cramping, they may go, well, let's do a colonoscopy. And that may be important, right? But they may not sort of fingerprint your internal gut ecology and find out where the heck is your microbiome? Is it balanced? Do you have infections? Where are these short-chain fatty acids? Do you need more fiber? You know, they don't get into that kind of stuff. And that's what functional medicine does, is to try and really figure that out for the person really individually. Yes. And if we back it up a little bit, so like you mentioned leaky gut. So for those of our listeners that don't aren't familiar with leaky gut, can you explain a little bit? more about what that is. Yeah, you bet. I mean, sort of, uh, if you think about a potato sack versus a, uh, a fine screen, <laughs> um, you know, you have, uh, you have food going through this tube of your intestine, and that tube is a barrier, and that barrier has to be very selective. It's like a gatekeeper or like little turnstiles in your gut where you want to be absorbing nutrients that feed your cells, but you don't want to be absorbing too many toxins that are crossing through that barrier. Because right outside that barrier in your small intestine is 70% of your lymph nodes that are set up, they're standing watch. They're like guards, like guardians. And they're standing watch. And they're going, hey, is this good? Is this not good? Is this toxic? Is this non-toxic? Is this self? Is this non-self? And they have to discern this every moment of, of the day, right? So when you go into leaky gut syndrome, you get a breakdown of that protective barrier and for different reasons. So for example, one of the number one reasons that you could break down that barrier is using anti-inflammatory drugs, just over-the-counter drugs like aspirin, ibuprofen, acetaminophen, et cetera. That's going to start thinning 
that gut lining and damaging it, interestingly enough. And then what happens is these really tight um, junctures between the cells, it's like cement, it gets loosened up, and then you use gaps. And in gaps, these big molecules cross over into the circulation and into the lymphatic system. Lymphatic system is what? You know, it's our immune system. So it says, okay, what is that? And I need to attack it or create a histamine response to it. So if you have a leaky gut, you're going to be more prone to food sensitivities, kind of a vicious stuff. You can have vicious, you know, food sensitivities could add gut, leaky gut can aggravate food sensitivities. It's been directly linked to autoimmune disease. So things like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. Oh, there. Hi, Ellie. Hi, sorry. So sorry, cut out. I don't know if the internet connection, but so you said it's linked to autoimmune and yeah. lupus. Yeah, so leaky gut syndrome is linked to autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, um, children's, and many others. So you know, even um, alopecia, like hair loss, uh, possibly vitiligo. So we need to be aware of that. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that cause leaky gut, you know, drugs, many different drugs do. Um, eating too much carbohydrates, simple carbohydrates, which favor uh, bad bacteria and yeast. And they put out toxins, which can damage the gut lining. Stress hormones can damage the gut lining. So we, we have these potential insults. And the good news is, Ellie, is that we have good testing now to determine whether or not you have a leaky gut. And you can do it through a blood test. Um, and it's very easy. So once you find out, then you need to figure out how to heal it. Yes. And so what exactly are they testing for in the blood test for leaky gut? They're looking for primarily your levels of a protein called zonulin. It sounds like a, you know, a planet in Star Trek. <laughs> but zonulin is a protein gatekeeper uh, between the uh, cells. And another one is called actin. So if you have high zonulin or, and or if you have high antibodies to zonulin and to actin, that's diagnostic for leaky gut. And I see this almost every day with people with leaky gut syndrome. Um, and it's a, it's a primary core potential cause for a lot of illness. So the good news is, Ellie, in my opinion, uh, it's pretty easy to heal because the lining of the gut is one of the fastest turnover cell beds or cells that we have. They turn over really quick. Um, like tomorrow, you're going to have a new gut lining. Mm. Um, so we have to think about what are we putting through the plumbing <laughs> daily, you know, all day long. Is it injuring that gut lining or is it promoting integrity in that gut lining and health in that gut lining? And, and then as we more, <clears throat> excuse me, consciously um, feed ourselves with food, with good prebiotics, probiotics. So for example, some foods are good prebiotics, as you, as you well know, like leeks or 
Jerusalem artichoke. They have prebiotics that are good bacteria love. So when we eat it, they're happy. They like that. They, they take it in, they eat it, and they ferment in a way that's normal to us versus fermenting, um, you know, sugar donuts you just ate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we, we want to do that because our good bacteria helps um, create proteins that protect our gut lining too. That's another important thing. And then, of course, once you have leaky gut, um, besides food, and also things like bone broth. Bone broth has amino acids like proline um, that are also essential for keeping the gut lining integrous. So we have to think about things like that. And then we can do supplements that help heal the gut lining. And some of those include glutamine, which is an amino acid. Uh, think of it as glue. <laughs> For the uh, you know the cell junctures, uh, we can do aloe vera extract that has starches in it that are soothing, anti-inflammatory, and helps repair the gut lining. We can do something called DGL licorice, which also is incredible. So usually you can heal a leaky gut fairly quickly um, if you're integrating the food piece, supplement piece and pre and probiotics. Yeah, no, this is great, thank you. And I, I do wanna to touch back on a couple of these points. Sure, so sure. Just um, going back to, I wanna talk about food sensitivities, but you had mentioned zonulin. Mm -hmm. And so testing for zonulin is, so when you eat gluten is a big trigger for zonulin production, right? Oh, thank you for saying that, yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, I I, I uh, forgot to mention that, but gluten. If you if you're gluten sensitive, and maybe even if you're not, because you know the story on that is that uh, wheat, for example, has been hybridized so much in the last hundred years that it's a, become the gluten, and it's become this really tightly packed protein that virtually no one can fully digest. We can't fully enzymatically break it down. And so it becomes like a foreign invading agent in, in the gut lining, and it becomes injurious to the gut lining. Um, so if you're gluten sensitive, you have to get off gluten to heal the leaky gut. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. Oh, thank you for this. And so, and I would love to, this was one thing. So when my journey, I had leaky gut and gluten was a big driver of it. And one of the mistakes I made was or I see a lot is people doing kind of going like 80, 20, like, Oh, I'm gluten free, but kind of still eating. Sorta. <laughs> yeah. Sorta. And so what would you, could you speak on that? Like why it's important to do a hundred percent or if it is. Yeah. You know, Dr. Fasano from Italy, who's probably done the most research on leaky gut in the world. Um, he would say, uh, and, a, and a few other docs that are doing research in gluten sensitivity would say that there's some people that are so sensitive that you can have one exposure and that exposure, even if there's just microscopic uh, parts of gluten hanging out in your gut for a while, you know, you had a cookie on Monday night and uh, you were at a holiday party recently and you're like, oh, you know, I can just get away with this one cookie and it gets down into your gut. And what happens is that can 
create an immune reaction for weeks after that, for weeks, possibly depending on how sensitive you are. So, and then, you know, let's say you eat that a few days later, you're not doing too well and either a rash flares up or you're, you have digestive symptoms or you go into brain fog out of nowhere. You know, there's so many different things that could come up. Most people don't go, oh, it must have been that cookie I ate two or three days ago. Um, and so it can sneak up and sort of hit you in the back of the head. So when you're really sensitive, you know, you have to be as 100% as you can possibly be. You know, I'm gluten sensitive. And <clears throat> I, I try to be as 100% as I possibly can be. When I eat out and travel and I'm trying to be picky, what I do is I bring di uh, gluten digesting enzymes with me. There's a few different brands now on the market that I personally, I use the Metagenics one. And I take two pills if I think I'm going to be exposed or, you know, with food, foods that are cross-contaminated because that'll accelerate the breakdown of the gluten and it'll lessen the chance for the small intestine to then react to it immunologically or with an immune reaction. Okay. That, you know, is it licensed to eat gluten by taking the enzymes? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask. I wanted to make sure that was clear. Yeah. Darn it. <laughs> right. Um, so, but at least, you know, there's an option these days where we can lessen the impact of the gluten. So, you know, I use Vibrant America labs to test for it. There's Cyrex labs. There's a lot of good labs for gluten sensitivity testing. Celiac testing, you know, a lot of people go, well, I've had a celiac test by my MD and I wasn't celiac, so I should be able to eat wheat. Well, um, in, the, in these labs, what they do is they take all the major fractions of gluten and test it against antibodies and see if you react. Well, gosh, what if you're reacting to 10 of those? Um, you know, you need to know that. And that's a much more sophisticated, up-to-date test than a celiac test. Celiac testing is important, of course, but um, there's gradations of sensitivity. So celiac disease can kill you. You're so allergic to gluten that it destroys the areas in your intestine where you absorb food, okay? But then if you go down the scale, you can have lower grade sensitivities that are stimulating an immune response all the time and still damaging your gut, but not destroying it. So super important, I think, to absolutely abstain if you're sensitive. Absolutely. And I do want to ask you a little bit about testing. So can you explain the difference between a food sensitivity and the term intolerance and the term allergy? Yeah, I can. Um, allergy classically in medicine is an IgE antibody response. So if you have a blood test, it's challenging your blood with foods to see if you mount an IgE reaction. And that's usually a very immediate and strong reaction. Same is true with like skin prick, uh, prick tests. They're looking for an IgE reaction, okay? By the way, I think skin prick tests for food is obsolete. <laughs> unless, unless you just have a huge reaction to something, but it's pretty inaccurate. Okay. Um, so IgE testing for foods is important. 
you know? Um, so for example, that would be an intense food allergy. Like I eat a peanut and my throat starts closing or I can't breathe or something. That's an IgE response and it's quick and it's intense. Intolerance and sensitivity are pretty much the same thing. Um, you, you have a different immune mediation where you have antibodies called IgG and IgA that are involved in food sensitivity. So IgGs are longer responses, possibly weeks. IgAs are usually shorter responses, like maybe a day or two or three, okay? Now, so for example, Vibrant America Lab does both um, and challenges your, food, your blood with those foods to see if you mount a response. So the reaction is less, it's less intense than IgE, it's less inflammatory, but, and, it's, um, <clears throat> and it can be a delayed onset. So in other words, maybe I ate um, some salmon on Saturday, okay? And a few days later, I'm just not feeling very good. But what I didn't know is I have a really high IgG response to salmon, you know? Now, let's say I live in Alaska and I start eating salmon every day because <laughs> it's available, right? Well, the higher the volume and the more frequency I'm exposed, the more I'm going to keep creating these antibodies and they build up and they build up and they build up. They stack up until you get much more of an overblown reaction. So intolerance, you know, is typically an IgG or an IgA reaction. Um, once in a while, I'll see people who it doesn't show up in testing where they say to me, hey, Todd, I eat this fish and I know I react to it. You know, I have, I have a gut problem with it, let's say. And then it doesn't show up as a, um, an immune response in their gut. Well, they're not tolerating that for some other reason. So intolerance could be that it, it's, it's a high histamine food. And maybe in their particular situation, they don't tolerate high histamine foods very well, or they don't get rid of histamine in their gut like they should in response to food. So that's something we have to think about. And that's where you get into intolerance for other reasons. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And if it was something like the histamine, does that, so that just because it's high histamine, that doesn't mean it's IgE? Right. You know, it may be, it's hard to explain this, but <laughs> it may be like a secondary histamine response that's not mediated through IgG and IgA, okay, okay. Or, or IgE. So, <clears throat> and then there may be something else that they're intolerant of in that food, um, meaning it may be that um, eating foods that are contaminated with pesticides and herbicides and what they're really reacting to is, is those chemicals. So, you know, it's challenging. It's challenging to figure that out. So I, what I always do, Ellie, is I always listen to the patient and listen to what do they already know about themselves? What do they know that they're, they react to? You know, and of course, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. And then we may never know exactly the mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but if that's happening, don't do it. And then the, the other question is, well, 
what is it that you don't know you react to that you're eating on a common basis that may be a low-grade reaction all the time that's perpetuating your inflammation? Like I, I just had a patient that has a rash from head to toe, and she's had this rash for a year, if you can believe that. She's done all sorts of testing. Gosh, tried all sorts of stuff. And, um, you know, so in her case, for example, she's very food sensitive. I did a bunch of food sensitivity testing on her. So for example, she, she thinks in healthy terms. She tries to do a really healthy smoothie in the morning with greens and fruit and protein powder. And well, guess what? She was putting, you know, banana in every day and she was putting whey protein in every day. Well, she had really high IgGs and IgAs to both bananas and whey protein, interestingly enough. Mm -hmm. So we had to pull those out, and sure enough, she started getting better. She isn't completely better, but she's getting there. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you gotta find these hidden food sensitivities. Absolutely, and I think it's so important, you mentioned earlier how it, it may not be a necessarily like a digestive issue, even though it is all, because of the gut, but it may not, you may not be running to the bathroom after you eat or even later in the week, but it could be a rash or it could be the brain fog. And so I think that's really important for people to, to know that it's not just stomach problems. Exactly. It, it's, <clears throat> you know, the gut, I call the gut the hub of the wheel. You know, everything revolves around the health of your gut. And, you know, that's what you're nourished by. And that's, a primary outlet of toxins, right? So we're both absorbing nourishment and we're eliminating toxins from this one system. And it, it systemically affects us throughout our entire system. So we can have symptoms far removed from the gut when the gut is a leaky gut, a dysbiotic gut. We haven't used that term, which is dysbiosis means a disordered gut ecology. You know, too many bad guys, not enough good guys. And we have leaky gut, dysbiosis. And then um, what happens is, you know, literally hundreds of symptoms can come up. Um, even things like migraine headaches um, or hormonal imbalances in women that are affecting their cycles. You know, there, there's so many different things that can be linked to. It's just sort of, I mean, I could spend every night reading up on this. There's so much research exploding all the time about it. So I hope listeners are paying attention to, hey, you know, I cannot keep abusing my gut. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do that and, and get away with it and, and be healthy. It's just, you know, you, hopefully um, people are getting inspired to go, gosh, I need to take a look at this <laughs> about changing their food and, and really um, finding out what their plumbing is doing uh, in order to fix it. You know, you wouldn't just let a leak keep going on under your sink all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Call the plumber. You, you get it fixed. <laughs> yes. So same is true with a lot of times we just sort of learn to live with it you know that term and mm -hmm. all too often people mm -hmm. are just learning to live with it and i'm here to tell you you don't have to learn to live with it you know yeah. you, can, you can change it i mean i've had people i i have a woman i was i just saw her yesterday i was just thinking about this she was having diarrhea 10 times a day she has for years you know 
And in the medical world, she's labeled as IBSD, right? Irritable bowel syndrome, diarrhea. And here's some things to stop you up. <laughs> you know? Yes. Well, this woman had to go through every single thing we were talking about. Get stool testing, leaky gut testing, food sensitivity testing. And we had to really do some hard work for a few months because she's gone through this for so many years. But you know what? She has formed bowel movements three to four times a day now. And you know what? She can go to Mexico and vacation and not become, you know, come back a complete mess. <laughs> yes. So, you know, that's what drives me to show up and keep doing this every day. Uh, is that somebody like that is never, ever going to get help in the medical field. I'm sorry, but they're not. And um, it's time that we recognize that. IBS is one of the least, I would say that medicine has some of the least outcomes in that. Um, and here's a woman that has hope and she's got her life back and she's not tied to having to run to the bathroom all the time. So anyway, I just wanted to share that because I just saw her yesterday. Yes. No, thank you so much. This is, um, I coach a lot through elimination diets and one, yeah. it sounds just like this woman I worked with wanted to go to Italy. She was so scared because she just would wake up and have like run to the bathroom. Was it very bad? All we did was uh, she was eating pretty well, but she was having gluten and dairy here and there, just small amounts like croutons. She wasn't like drinking glasses of milk. It wasn't anything crazy, but it was those little sprinkles throughout that all yeah. we did was take those out. And she, it was like within four oh. days, she's like, Ellie, this is magic. And I'm like, oh my gosh. It was just, those were really her triggers. I'm giving you a high five. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And isn't that, isn't that something where just a couple of simple choices like that have profound life effects. And I, I think, you know, sometimes, you know, I've, I've shared a lot here, but, and sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming, but on the other hand, like if you just do a food elimination diet, which was my entry into this whole thing, yeah, <laughs> was, you know, was the food elimination diet. They weren't even calling it that then. Um, I just happened to have this chiropractor tell me, Todd, you need to stop eating these things, you know, and, and see how you feel. Just notice. And I thought, nobody's ever told me that before. <laughs> yeah. And, excuse me, and I did it, and lo and behold, you know, I started getting better. And so I always credit my gut for uh, making me become a naturopath. <laughs> it led me into this path, and um, I so appreciate that. And now here we are, Ellie, in this time where um, we have so much knowledge. And, and we're still at the at the beginnings of fully understanding the gut microbiome, but we have so much knowledge and, you know, and any everyday person can just get a few pieces of information about diet change and maybe some key dietary supplements and boom, they're on their way. Isn't that amazing? Yes, it is amazing. I'm, it's awesome to, you know, that you have that appreciation for your gut got you into this. Um, and it was, there was a reason that you had those that, that digestive issues so that you can That's help right. all these people. Thank God for my constipation. <laughs> <laughs> it was life-changing. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess for people, so 
that are starting out and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. Do all this, you know, probiotics, aloe vera gel, um, food sensitivity. Like, where would you suggest starting? Like, what are well, you know, I, I always say don't try and do it on your own. Get coaching. You know, Ellie, you're very competent in what you do. And um, what a great starting point. You know, I read your emails. You are, always have amazing tips for people. And, um, you know, if you're listening, please read what Ellie writes, because <laughs> you know, if you actually do a few of them, um, as she just shared with the story, uh, it could change your life. And that's, you know, that's no small thing. So that's a starting point right there, getting some coaching. The next level of it is if you are truly sick or really chronically sick, you need to get with a functional medicine-based practitioner like myself or somebody else that's local to you. I do virtual consultations with people coast to coast. Um, and then discern what kind of, like, let's say if I did an intake on you, um, I have to figure out what functional medicine-based tests are right for you. So looking at comprehensive stool analysis, that's very sophisticated. It's very beyond what most GI docs do. Um, that's, I think, number one. Number two, looking at leaky gut syndrome. Um, number three would be food sensitivities, because if your gut ecology is really disordered, the chance of being food sensitive or you know, having heightened sensitivities is going to go up. So what I always do is try to balance out the gut ecology first and then maybe do food sensitivity testing a little later down the road. Um, food, you know, gut and, I'm sorry, stool testing and leaky gut testing would be primary. And then if somebody walks in and says, gosh, Todd, you know, <clears throat> my belly's flat at the beginning of the day. And by the end of the day, I look like I'm three months pregnant. And I have women take pictures of their belly and show me this. <laughs> <I've been> and, <laughs> so it's, it's one of these things where um, that may be more small intestinal based, and that could be small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO it's called. And um, that's a whole different test where you eat a certain way for a day and you fast overnight for 12 hours and you drink this sugary drink called lactulose and that challenges your gut ecology. It feeds the bad guys, they love it. And then you blow into a tube with breath and you measure hydrogen and methane gases in your breath. And if one or two of those are high, then you have SIBO and then you have to kill off bad bugs that are fermenting and creating these gases where they're not supposed to be. So, you know, those listening, if you want to look up SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you'll find tons and tons and tons of information. Um, one good website is SIBOinfo.com. Um, but if you have chronic bloating, you know, when I hear that in somebody or they feel a lot of pressure or, um, pain in their gut. But, you know, we can go off onto a whole nother realm here where SIBO is also connected to many illnesses, even autoimmune disease. So, uh, and it might be the primary cause of IBS in most people. This is being discovered. So, 
long-winded answer to your question about, so where do you start? You know, it's always starting with food first. Always, always, always. And that's where coaching with you, Ellie, coaching with me, um, you know, that, that's a great entry point. And then, like I say, if you're chronically ill with your gut or even chronically ill, period, you need to check in on your gut ecology. And that takes sophisticated functional medicine testing. And then you need a practitioner who's seasoned to do that with you, interpret it, and then get a really personalized strategy to deal with the underlying imbalances that we see. And that, that helps you get to cause. So you have to be a really committed person and you have to be willing to do trial and error. I mean, I'm a couple of days from now, I'm turning 62 years old and I'm still learning about my diet and I'm still refining it. And I'm still trying to find different edges that are even that much better for me. Yeah. <laughs> Which I find kind of exciting. For sure. And then how do you think like that plays in with even just your diet changing because of lifestyle things happening like stress or. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I've gone through my own stressors. I've gone through my own health challenges. Uh, this last year and a half, I've been battling cancer. Um, you know, and do you think I need to raise my game on diet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like big time, even though I've done a fantastic diet, it's just an odd situation of, of a tumor coming up. Um, but it, it's also an invitation to refine the game and um, get that much more refined and, and get therapeutic about it even more so. So there's many ways to enter this kind of a journey. <laughs> and usually it's because we're sick and we're seeking answers, right? I mean, that happened for you. And um, I would say, I would just encourage people listening, you know, use that, leverage that as motivation. Um, I mean, most of us don't get up in the morning, Ellie, and go, how do I eat exceptionally today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, how, how do I eat like a master today? How do I do that? You know, how do I really tune into my body and what I want and what I need and what is complementary to my well-being? And how do I be open to learning how eating is going to uh, truly nourish me and truly support me and the kind of health outcomes that I want? And that's the sort of the spirit you need. Um, when you're making changes in your lifestyle is you need some enthusiasm about learning um, because it's like, you know, like for you, how long did it take you to really find sort of a groove in your food? Yeah. I mean, definitely <laughs> at least months. And mm -hmm. then, yeah. And then I just, but even with that, it's just constantly evolving every day. I'm, I'm like you, I'm like constantly <laughs> tuning in like, Ooh, what, like, what can I do now? And all the research that comes out. Right. Right. And trying new foods or trying fermented foods, maybe for the first time, or maybe, um, you know, here it is the new year and we can say something like, okay, do things in threes. What are the top three things? Like if you survey the people, you know, um, everybody knows three things they need to change about their diet with zero education. <laughs> yeah. Right? 
Like most people would say, oh gosh, I need to do less sugar. Oh, I need to do less soda pop. Oh, I should do less fried foods. Like, like almost everybody already knows that, right? <laughs> and, and so they know that, but they're not acting differently about making a new choice that says, before I need to do what? How do I need to change? I just read your um, email about habit change, which was really awesome. And I think everybody listening needs to read it because if you're trying to change some habits right now, you need to tap into that um, and really sit down and dig deep and identify. You were talking about powerful whys, right? Why? Why do I want to? Why do I want my health? What do I want my health for? I want to be around for my kids. I want to be able to show up for my mate. I want to be able to show up for my work. I want to be able to serve people whatever it is, whatever it is for you, but write it down and get it clear. Because if you go, well, I know I should drop soda pop, you know, theoretically, and it's bad for me, and people say it's bad for me, and I know I should, and knowing you should doesn't motivate you to change <laughs> at all. So what's going to motivate you to change is to know why you're doing it. And uh, I have one of the most powerful questions I know to ask yourself is, is this choice consistent with the outcome I want? Is this choice consistent with the outcome I want? Well, I just sat down and ate a whole chocolate cake. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> is that choice consistent with the outcome I want? Like, what are the outcomes I really define for myself? You know? Yes. Well, the outcome is I want to be able to... Uh, have better recovery and exercise. Uh, I want to be able to sleep better. I want to be able to have more endurance. Um, you know, whatever the goal is, it's kind of like, well, is eating sugar and fried fat and soda pop consistent with that outcome? Your brain with some of your common sense goes, no, <laughs> it really doesn't. So even just asking that question repetitively can start setting your brain up to start searching for different outcomes. So set it up for different outcomes. Well, the outcome I want is, uh, I want to more consistently choose something like protein, vegetables, and oil at my next meal, rather than what I would normally do, which is lots of carbohydrates. And I usually feel terrible afterwards. I get gassy, bloaty, fatigued, I can't think straight, etc. Well, let's see, so why would you eat that then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Unless, you, unless you're totally in the driver's seat and you're okay with the consequence. You take responsibility for that consequence. Well, I'm going to feel like crap, so oh well, I'm going to do it anyway. Well, guess what? You're a human. You have free will. You can do that. But do you really want to do that is the deeper question. Is, it, is that really what you deeply want for you? And I think as we start this year, um, that's something we all need to do is kind of step back and go, yeah, there's this thing about resolutions, but what is it that I really, really want for my health and my life, like long-term? What am I willing to do? And you have to be willing to give up some things, but you also, the gains far outweigh the giving up, don't they? You know, when you start shifting lifestyle habits, um, far outweighing the uh, loss. So, little pep talk. <laughs> yes. No, I love this. Thank you so much for saying that. 
I think it, it's yeah. so huge. And it's like, we need to hear this all the time. I need to like crop this chip part out and replay it like for everybody every morning. I mean, it's not even just with food. It's every choice in life, not running on autopilot, really making conscious choice, like pausing. Is this consistent yes. with the goals that I want for myself? Exactly. And, and to be able to even momentarily ask, you know, when you get up to a meal and you, you know, you get up to the menu in a restaurant and you, you go, is this goal consistent with the outcome I want? You know, and, and, you know, I have patients who have written that down, their whys as to why do they want their health? And then they get it shrunk and laminated and carried in their pocket or their purse and they look at it every morning and every night, or even when they sit down to eat. <laughs> I love that. You know, it's awesome because you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I could have the apple pie a la mode after this dinner of, um, you know, pasta and bread. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's not consistent with the fact that I want this goal weight and I want this energy and I want to be able to keep up with my grandson and I want to show up for my wife more effectively. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, in the moment, my taste buds might be real happy, but in the long run, it is not consistent with the goals I want. So therefore, that leads to the next question. So what can I do right now to make a choice that is consistent with the outcome I want? What can I do right now? That's an empowered question. I'm in the driver's seat, I'm empowered rather than those old thoughts of, oh, there's me again, you know, eating sugar, I'm so terrible, I'm the worst person in the world, blah, 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 I'm going to beat the heck out of myself. Well, <laughs> um, you know, that whole dialogue doesn't, you know what it serves you for? To feel miserable. <laughs> That's what it serves you for. So instead, you have to shift it to, so what can I do right now to eat in a way, to make a choice in a way, that really serves my well-being, the well-being that I have set goals around, you know, and I've got some clarity around about what I want. Boy, you do that every day for 21 days, and guess what? Your brain's going to shift, and your brain is wired to seek answers, right? As Tony Robbins would say, you want a better outcome, ask a better question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love that. So anyway, um, so part of this, as you know, Ellie, is coaching. It's not just go, here, eat this. You know, here's the diet. It's also about, well, how do you develop a mindset to get into more exceptional eating? And that's just as critical as what you're eating. So thanks for letting me have a little time on that. Oh, yes. I think it's so important <laughs> because, yeah, you can give someone a diet protocol all day. And we, most of us, like you said, know what we should be doing at least the no sugar, the more vegetables, things like that. But it's the whys are going to be what gets you to do it. Exactly. Yeah. You're not going to execute the how if you don't have a powerful why. That's the bottom line. If you don't know why you're doing it, you know, you're not going to seek how to do differently. So, you know, there's a lot of how-tos, but those how-tos in this sort of sea of you know, latest fad diets and best-selling books. And, uh, you know, we're just inundated with information now, with, which is, you know, both good and not so good, internet-wise and Facebook-wise and Instagram-wise and so forth. 
But bottom line is you have to discover the food plan that really, really works for you personally. And most of us need a guide along that road. Um, it's pretty tough to figure it out on ourselves. So. Totally. And I, I just want to say I've worked with you, Dr. Todd, over via Skype, and it's awesome. And so for anyone listening, please, if you really need help and want to explore the gut, set up time with him, with Dr. Todd. He's amazing. So, um, and I can't believe we've already gone an hour. I have so much more to talk to you about. <laughs> uh, well, we'll have to do it again. For sure. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. yeah, let's do it again, for sure. I love talking to you, Elliot. It's great to share this info and something I'm passionate about and something I talk to people about every single day. So, um, and you know, there's new, newer discoveries. Maybe we can hone in on just SIBO or just uh, another arena. If you would like, I'd be happy to. I would love that. I definitely want to set that up. <laughs> and, um, before we close though, could, is there, if there's three pieces of advice that you could give someone that's just starting out on this journey for their health, what would you offer them? Probably first and foremost is exactly what we just talked about is get clear on what you want. Get clear on what you want for yourself in your health and get emotionally clear about that too. Like how is that gonna impact your life energetically, emotionally, even in your effectiveness, in your work, your performance your relationships, et cetera. Just get really clear on that, number one. Number two, create three health goals. You know, start from where you know you need to change. I know I need to exercise this year. I know I need to do some kind of a detox. I know I need to get rid of certain types of junk food. Whatever it is, start with what you know you already need to change and write that down, okay? And then number three, Outline three action steps. What are three action steps you can do this week? Not someday, this week. This week, I could experiment with eating more salad, or I could uh, try some fermented foods, or I know I need to hydrate more. I'm going to get 68 glasses of water a day, um, or I know I need to start exercising. I'm just going to start walking, and that's what I'm going to do. Just three things. Three things. One, you know you can do. Why? So you can win. You can have a win. You know, don't go, I'm going to get to the gym and I'm going to pound it out for an hour. But you know what? But you have arthritis and, you know, you're short of breath walking up the steps at your house. <laughs> That's like a setup for failure, right? So as I told the patient the other day, can you be on a stationary bike for three minutes? And she said, yes. And I said, great, let's start there. So start where you're at and what you can do. So those are the big three. Thank you. Know. You, you are yeah. welcome. <laughs> I appreciate you so much, Dr. Todd. And where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Well, they can go to my website, tolwellness.com. T is in Todd, O is in Oreos. Oh my God. L is in love. <laughs> wellness tolwellness.com um, and uh, office number 303-969-3052 awesome thank I'll you make sure, you're welcome I'll link that in the show notes and yeah thank you so much awesome <laughs>